Easter to the first graders. I miss you, I'm praying for you, and I can't wait to see you guys. Hey Calvary family, this is Andy. I just wanna wish you all a happy Easter Sunday. He is risen. We wanna let you know that we love you, we miss you, um, we hope that you are finding fun, creative ways to love your neighbors during this time, and wanna wish you a very happy Easter. Hey church. Wanted to wish you all a happy Easter. Okay. I hope you're all having a great day. And even if we're not meeting, that you can wear some awesome fancy pajamas. Hi, Calvary Monterey. This is a shout out to all the four-year-olds watching right now. Happy Easter. Miss you guys so much. I'm sad that we can't celebrate this day together, but I love you and I am praying for you guys. Have a wonderful Easter. Bye. Hi, Calvary Kindergartners. Happy Easter from Miss Jean Marie. Today is the special day that we get to remember how much our risen King Jesus loves you. I hope you have the most amazing day celebrating and I can't wait to see you again. Hey, this is Mr. Dan to all the three-year-olds wishing you a happy Easter. And remember, Jesus loves you. Hey, Calvary Church family, this is Denise Buck and I just wanted to wish you a blessed Easter season. This is Pastor Jeff Buck. May I say to you, Happy Resurrection Day. Hey church, miss you so much. Can't wait to be together soon. Hey kids, I just wanna say Happy Easter and we miss you guys so much. I wish I could just give you guys high fives and hugs right now, but we can't, but we will soon. So have a good Easter and we'll see you later. Hi kids, I miss you so much. I can't wait for the day when we can meet again. Hopefully very soon now. Bye kids. A happy Easter again to all of you, church. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Uh, today, I'm going to share with you from a little passage in Romans chapter 8, if you'd like to turn there uh, in your Bibles. But before we do, let's say a word of prayer over our time in God's Word. Lord, thank you for your Word. Thank you for this great and powerful truth of the resurrection. May it sink into our hearts to a greater degree now and today than ever before. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you took on flesh, that you suffered for us, that you lived a perfect life, and that you died upon the cross and defeated sin and death, agony and pain by rising from the grave. We worship you now this morning, and we love and honor you. In Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen. Amen. Nearly 2,000 years ago, on a Sunday morning, days removed from the events of the Passover, a small group of female disciples went to Jesus's tomb early on that day. Their beloved teacher and leader and friend had been crucified days earlier. They hoped in Jesus, that he would be the one to save the world from chaos and agony and brokenness. But instead, he had suffered at the hands of the religious leaders, at the hands of the Roman government, and at the hands of an angry mob. And so, Jesus was crucified. Still, though he had died, he was beloved to them. And so, they determined to go complete his burial process on that early Sunday morning. But on that incredible morning, the women discovered instead of a dead body, angels, a stone that had been miraculously removed. 
and Jesus himself appearing to them. Uh, they went and told others about Jesus and the empty tomb, and at first no one believed them, but then Jesus began appearing to all of them, to hundreds of his followers in the next few days. And as Jesus appeared to them, they shouted for joy. And after Jesus' ascension, those shouts turned into sermons as they preached the message of the gospel, telling the world of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And the echoes of those original shouts are still felt today. We're gathering on this day in our homes, by ourselves, looking at our screens, celebrating the same thing that they celebrated, the fact of Jesus' resurrection. The grave could not hold him. Jesus is risen from the dead. And Jesus' resurrection, I think, carries special significance for our world today. You see, Jesus is the pioneer of resurrection life. And through him, everyone who believes in him can be made alive forever. Jesus was the first to be resurrected. And at his future coming, he will raise all who have placed their faith in him. You see, resurrection is our great need. It's the great need of our world. It's the great need of our galaxy. Our bodies and our planet cannot last forever. They're filled with disease, decay, and death. And though we try to steward our bodies and steward our planet as best as we possibly can, ultimately, resurrection is our only hope. You know, back in the 60s, against the backdrop of the Vietnam War, there was a recording artist who released the song where the lyrics said, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. Sounds great, love to have more love in the world, I'm for that. But what the world really needs is resurrection. What the world needs now is resurrection, sweet resurrection. And Jesus Christ brought that resurrection power to us. So for this particular Resurrection Sunday, I have a simple text that I'd like to read to you. It's from Romans chapter 8, verse 18 to 25. I'm going to read it in its entirety. We'll put it on the screen for you if you'd like to follow along or look at the pages of your own Bible. Paul said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we, verse 22, know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. 
Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now, though the word resurrection never shows up in that paragraph that I just read to you, I think its presence looms large over all of the contents, the words that we just read. You see, in this paragraph, Paul tells us that creation is groaning for the glorification of believers. The glorification of believers is what's going to occur at the great and final resurrection of the dead, of whom or of which Jesus is the firstfruits. And Paul here says that the creation groans for the redemption of our bodies. Because when we're raised, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In other words, to say it more simply, when we are changed, the creation will be changed. Our resurrection leads to, in a sense, creation's resurrection. Now for this, both us and creation groan with eager longing. The planet is waiting with us for the final resurrection of which Jesus was the first. But let me show you three things that Jesus's resurrection changes for us from this passage. Here's the first. Jesus's resurrection changes our calculations. Jesus's resurrection changes our calculations. Let me read it again to you in verse 18 and 19. He said, I consider that the sufferings of this present time aren't worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Here's what Paul did in this little section. He stopped to consider the sufferings of this present time. Okay, now when he thought about the sufferings of this present time, he was thinking about the sufferings of his present time almost 2,000 years ago. But his sufferings in his day were very similar to the sufferings of our present time. For Paul lived inside of humanity after all. He would have seen things like injustice and mysterious illnesses and pollution and heartbreak and agony. But as Paul considered the sufferings of his present day, he also says that he considered the glory that is to be revealed in or to us. I think Paul thought a lot about this. I mean, he lived a difficult and hard and painful life in his mission for Jesus. And I think there were many times when his life was on the verge of potential death, that threat breathing down upon his neck, that Paul began to think once again about the future glory of the saints. I think as he painfully trudged through life, he found himself daydreaming about the future resurrection of God's people. Okay, now when Paul compared the current suffering he was going through with the future glory, it changed his calculations of what he was going through today. That's what's meant by verse 18, the word 
consider. It's a word that you would use for numerical calculation, determined by careful study or reasoning. To, to consider is not personal opinion, but a calculated and informed conclusion. It's actually a word that they would use in ancient Greek culture for the business world, buying and selling and making trades, calculating a fair price. So when someone says something like, the color blue is better than the color red, that's not what Paul's talking about here. That's just personal opinion. But if someone says a million dollars is more than $10, that's fact. That's not opinion, but it's something that has been calculated and is known to be true. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying that he has calculated as he thought about the current sufferings that he was going through in comparison with the future glory that he and all believers would receive from God and see in God. He considered that the future or the current sufferings were not even worthy of being compared to that incredible and future glory. You see, Jesus' resurrection, it changes our calculations about life. Everything that we endure today is momentary. And light, in comparison with the eternal weight of glory that Jesus Christ secured for us that day almost 2,000 years ago. And this Easter Sunday, my prayer is that we would allow the resurrection of Jesus Christ to change our calculations, to give us new math, so to speak. To understand that this life that we're living right now, with all of the potential that it has for joy and gladness and friendship and romance and love and generosity and service and acts of faith and courage, for all that it proposes to us, it still is the worst that it can possibly get for the child of God. You see, it's not worthy being compared to the glory that is to come. So I pray that the resurrection of Jesus would, number one, change your calculations. But secondly, Jesus' resurrection changes the future. Jesus' resurrection changes the future. For that, let's look at verse 20 to 22 again together. He said, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Okay, here what Paul is doing is he's reminding us that creation at some point was subjected to this thing called futility. It didn't want to. He says it was not willing, but it had to be subjected to futility. What, what does this mean? What is Paul referring to? Well, if you remember back in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve brought sin into the world, a curse was pronounced not only on humanity, but also upon the created order. As part of their punishment, uh, 
the ground itself was cursed by God. The planet was not a willing participant in humanity's rebellion against God. They didn't, it didn't join in with Adam in rebelling against God, but because the planet is meant to be humanity's home, it suffered some of the consequences of humanity's sin. But Paul says here in this little section that the creation has a hope that it will itself one day be set free from its bondage to corruption. This is really interesting because what Paul is doing is personifying inanimate creation. He's giving the creation personhood, so to speak. Uh, he's saying that the planet and the galaxy, like a, like a little child waiting for Christmas morning, looking forward to opening presents early on Christmas morning, that in a similar way, the planet, the galaxies themselves are looking forward to obtaining the same freedom that God's people, the saints, will receive when Jesus resurrects us at the la on the last day. Though the past has been tarnished by the curse, the creation is waiting for a glorious future. Jesus's resurrection, as I said, changes the future. For us, absolutely, but also, as Paul is saying, for creation itself. Okay, but, but what does that mean? What does that mean that, that the creation is looking forward to this freedom or this redemption? I mean, didn't Peter say in 2 Peter chapter 3 that the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire? Didn't he also say in that same passage that the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment? Didn't he also say in that very same passage that the galaxies will burn up and the elements will melt down on that future day? Yes, he did say all of those things. But in the very same passage, Peter also said this. We'll put it on the screen for you. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. You see, God has promised that he would create a new heaven and a new earth. In places like Isaiah 65 and Revelation 21 and 22, we see this new heavens and new earth portrayed. He is promised in that new heaven and earth, the eradication of all sickness and disability, Isaiah 35 verse 5. He has promised that streams will flow where the wilderness now exists, Isaiah 35 verse 6. He's promised that the vast wastelands of desert will be replaced with pools of water, fresh springs, and lush vegetation, Isaiah 35, verse 7. He's promised a place of unparalleled peace and prosperity, one where no sin or evil dwells, but only an intense love for God, Isaiah 35, verse 8 and 10. Listen to the description of that day. On that day, everlasting joy 
will be upon our heads. We will obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I don't know about you, but I've done plenty of sorrowing and sighing over the last few weeks for various reasons. But a day is coming in the new heavens and new earth where all of that will be replaced. You see, creation is waiting for this future freedom, this remaking by the very hand of God. Paul said in this passage, verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The pains of childbirth is what the creation is going through. Now, this is a family program, so I'm not gonna get into the details of pregnancy and childbirth, kids. Ask your parents later. Uh, But suffice it to say that birth pains, what do they do? They intensify until the delivery comes, until the point of birth. Here, Paul tells us that the creation is having its own birth pains. It's groaning, he says, in anticipation of its future deliverance. Just like the intensification of contractions, the creation is groaning together for its day of freedom from corruption. In other words, the old heaven and old earth is looking forward to becoming the new heaven and the new earth, and it is showing those pains through what we see all around us, the running down of the created order. And as time goes by, the creation groans more and more for the day that it will be reborn. Personally, as we look at this virus here on earth, I believe that we are hearing at least some of those groans from creation today. Our world, it's struggling, struggling to cope with a virus that we know little about and have even less control over. And in the midst of it, creation is groaning. But one day, newness will come. All viruses will cease. And the glorious creation brought on by Christ's resurrection will arrive. I can't wait for that day. So the resurrection of Jesus, it changes the future for us, but also for creation. But let me show you one last thing today. Number three, Jesus's resurrection changes our groaning. It changes our groans. It changes our groaning. Jesus' resurrection changes our groans. Look at verse 23 and 25 with me afresh. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Okay, here what Paul is saying is that creation is not the only one who's groaning. We ourselves, human beings, saints, covered by the blood of Jesus, waiting for the fullness of our adoption, we groan as well. Though we've been brought into God's family by the blood, we're still awaiting for that fullness of adoption, the redemption, he says, verse 23, of our bodies. So with that or because of that, we groan. 
with desire for the moment that we'll be changed into the image of Jesus and go into our eternal home with him. But he mentions that there's a reason why our groaning is so intense. He says in verse 23, because we have the first fruits of the Spirit. You see, when you become a believer, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of you. He is the down payment from God, claiming you as his precious possession. You belong to God forever at that moment of your conversion when you bend the knee to Jesus. And the Spirit of God comes to make your body his dwelling place. The Spirit of God, in other words, is living within us, God's people. Why would that make us groan? Shouldn't that make us happy? Well, it does make us happy. It does bring us joy but it also makes us groan because we're a people who have tasted enough of God that we want all of God. We've received a little preview, so to speak, of his resurrection life through the spirit living inside of us, but that just makes us want the whole thing. We sometimes feel like we're half saved, already in the kingdom, but still waiting for the whole kingdom of God. Our outer person has not entered in to the realities, the world that our inner person by the Spirit's presence has already entered into. We've begun to experience the redemptive and transformative work of the Holy Spirit, and that beginning makes us crave the fullness of the resurrection. In other words, We've had a little bit of God's presence, so we want to go all the way into God's presence. And this causes us to groan. So now, what are we doing? Well, Paul said in verse 23, we are waiting eagerly for that resurrection. Jesus rose. One day, we will rise. And we await that day with great anticipation. Now, this anticipation, this eager waiting, it's called hope in the Bible. And that's what Paul mentions in verse 24 and 25, that we have hope. Hope in the Bible is not a mere wish. It's not wishful thinking, but it's a confident expectation of something that is sure. You know, it's not like wishing as a child for a snowstorm to come, which will cancel school someday that next week. Instead, it's like a child waiting for summer break. That's something that is sure. It's bound to come. It's concrete. The first, the snow day, it's a mere wish. But the other, summer, it's concrete. It will come. And when we're saved, we enter into this hope. The confident waiting and desire for something that we cannot see, he says in verse 24 and 25. We wait for it with patience right now, but we still groan inwardly in our desire to receive the fullness of God's perfect new creation. Look, there's so much about our future with God that we don't know. And because of that, it might seem a little bit scary to us. The idea of eternity and heaven and God's kingdom and glory and what it will be like. But still, we long for it 
partly because of what we do know. We do know that this world is broken and in pain. We do know that people are suffering and in need of Jesus. And we do know from what we've already tasted and what we've seen in God's word that God is good. All these elements cause us to hope for our future resurrection, the one that Christ will perform for us and for all of creation. So Jesus' resurrection, it changes our groans and turns them into hope. When bitterness in life presents itself to us, we ache in hope for the glory that we will have with Jesus. And you know, during this particular Resurrection Sunday, one where we can't all be together, whether it's at the Monterey County Fairgrounds or in our own church facility or even in our living rooms together with other families as we eat ham and celebrate together, even though that's the reality and we have hope in Jesus, there is a groaning that's attached to that reality. You know, as we watch the world struggle and sputter, as we're shocked watching nations brought to their knees by a microscopic virus, as we come to terms with the fragility of our nature and our economies and our world system, in the midst of all of that, believers have hope. We have hope. We hate all this pain and frustration and helplessness. But one day, because Jesus rose, we will rise. The world will be remade, and we will receive our resurrected bodies with Jesus forever. Remember, church, remember Calvary. He is our hope. His resurrection will lead to our resurrection and the resurrection of this broken planet. This is our confident expectation to God be the glory. You might be watching today, visiting our church in this online format, and you may not have yet placed your trust in Jesus. You may not yet be part of his forever family. You may not yet have believed in what Jesus did for you upon the cross. But I want to tell you today that Jesus loves you and he has an incredible plan for your life. He wants you to submit to him, to receive his gift of forgiveness that he wrought for you when he died for you upon the cross. And all you need to do is right there as you're watching this, say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. Would you save me from my sin? And would you make me into a new person? I want to pray for you right now. And if this describes you, would you pray along in your heart with me? Say something like this to God. Say, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Thank you for sending your only son to die in my place. Come into my life. Forgive me of all I've ever done and will do and make me new. And help me now by your spirit to live for you. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the great gift that you brought for us, the hope that is ours in Christ. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, 
the name of Christ, the one who rose from the grave, that's the power by which we are praying today. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Church, I love you. I miss you. I can't wait to be able to gather again. But thank you for being so strong and so loving during this season. Thank you for listening. If you would like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our lead pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.